Let's take our Bibles at this time and read from Colossians chapter 3. We'll read the first 17 verses of this book, which is especially about Christology, the truth of Jesus, his preeminence, worthiness, his being our all in all, and for whose sake we forgive one another. Hear of Jesus then, Colossians 3, the word of God. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for, I, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thus far we read this word of God, and especially in verse 13, which is the middle of a sentence, I know, but we're going to focus on that as we consider the petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and because this has to do with forgiveness. As the elect of God, we are to bear with one another, verse 13, if anyone has a complaint, oh, excuse me, bear with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you so you also must do. As far as the word of God, and we consider, I say, that petition in the Lord's Prayer, which is, we are to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In striking the context of this chapter in Colossians, the, the context of our verse, it's all about the saints who've died and gone to heaven. While they're living on the earth, they've died in Christ. Their lives are hid in him, but they've gone to heaven. 
And it's all because Christ is given and we are forgiven and Christ is risen. That's why we've gone, died and gone to heaven. There's an old life that is no more. There's a new life. And we are those who are with Christ even, sitting at the right hand of God in that principle of the work of God that is begun in us through the work of regeneration. Do you ever think of that, children? Do you ever think of that? Your address is heaven, really, as a child of God. It might be on Four Mile Road or somewhere else, but it's in heaven. And so in this world we are, we are but we're not of it. And the problem, however, of life is this. To be heavenly-minded, isn't that the problem? On this earth, we can be so earthy and give way and sway to our members that are on the earth and the dictates of our passions. In fact, we often sink below heaven. And one way this occurs and is in, occurs in an outstanding way, one way we sink below heaven and act earthly and sinful is when we do not seek forgiveness or give it. As if Christ was not given, as if we are not forgiven, as if Christ is not risen. There's something so significant about this and this thing that the apostle is addressing here when he speaks of our calling to forgive and to show mercy and so on, the significance is this. In the way of our not showing kindness and our not forgiving and not bearing long with one another, hell comes to earth and we go to hell in the church. I mean by not that, not the physical place, but that spiritual reality of what it is to be unforgiven. That's what this world is all about, you know. It's the world of the unforgiven. That's why they're worldly. They're, they haven't tasted and seen that God is good and gracious and they don't trust in Jesus. And we live in that unforgiven world. And you can be sure where there's unforgiveness, there is people who don't forgive either. So it's almost true that there's a hell on earth. Not true. There's far greater um, terriblenesses that will be in heaven, or excuse me, in hell after this life. But already now, people seem to be preparing for what it's going to be like by trying to have fun on this earth, though it be a hell. Beloved, to keep us from hell is this sermon. To guide us to heaven and to be heavenly is this sermon. The word, not from a Nathan, the prophet who long ago said to David, Thou art the man, but from yours truly, to himself and to all of us. We are the men, the women, the children who need forgiveness and we need to forgive and so, may God bless us, because this is the way to heaven. Jesus says, you pray, forgive your debts as you forgive your debtors. So may we know the forgiveness of God as we forgive our debtors. Let's consider what that is. And there's a lot here. There's a lot here that won't be in this sermon, just enough, God willing, to get us to hell, heaven and keep us from hell. 
uh, we consider the meaning, broadly speaking, manifestation, three M's, and the motivation. And we have a great motivation. We are to bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven us. That's why we do this. We're Christ's. All right, what is forgiveness? What is our forgiving others? That's a good question. There's been a lot of difference of opinion about that. Basically, it's the lifting off of sins from another person. We're talking about forgiving giving one another so that we don't hold it against them. That's one definition of a thousand. It's when the one who's uh, offended is committed. This is another definition. Forgiveness is when the one who's offended is committed to pardon graciously the repentant and to pardon him from any kind of liability that we would say is against them and with the goal to be reconciled. Basically, it's the way that the Bible says that people who sin against one another can come together again and to show off the great glories of God in his grace. Now, in fact, according to our text here, the technical word forgiveness is not used. There's one technical word, which means literally the lifting off of sins like the sins that are, make us guilty and that people might hold against us or even God. Forgiveness is, there is no more guilt. It's lifted off and there's no more punishment for our sins. But here is another word, and it's the word from which we get grace. Basically, literally, it's to grace one another, bear with one another, and grace one another. And this is Christ has graced us. Same word used there for Christ. So we act gracefully because we've been shown grace. Now understand, grace is the free favor and kindness of God to sinners. We say it's unmerited favor. Well, that's what forgiveness is all about. And this somehow is what our forgiveness of one another is to be all about. As Christ graced us, we must be gracious to one another. That is, if we know what grace is all about. More on that presently. So it's not a technical word, but there's a, a virtue here that's presented as undergirding being one. That is, there's a good thing from heaven. That's what a virtue is. Something that befits children now who bear the image of God. Grace. Gracefulness. Kindness and all of these other words that are quite synonymous. They're pretty much similar in meaning, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another. It's, it's dealing with life in the trenches, isn't it, is forgiveness. It's anticipating not only among the Colossians but to 21st century believers that there's going to be a problem with those who are in Christ even, in the church even. Yes, there's heaven, but there's also hell. 
There's also skirmishes, and there's also divisions, and there's problems, not just in Corinth, that catastrophe of a church. But in every church, there's this tendency, this problem, this thing that can rear its ugly head in any point at the drop of an offense and the refusing to be reconciled and all of these things starting maybe with friends, maybe in family, maybe in the consistory, maybe whatever, or between the congregation and the consistory. And so you take a vote, as I heard one day uh, in classes here, this was happened to a minister's father who was a minister. They took a vote. How many people want this guy? If we ever come to a vote, beloved, like that, terrible. Forgiveness. An Old Testament word is used and has to do with a virtue that overlooks sin. Proverbs 19.11 is one place that found this. Overlooks sin. And so it's mentioned there, but most often I find in the, New Te- the Old Testament it's about God forgiving us. And There's explication of that, and there needs be, and that's striking, and that's even before Jesus' blood was shed. But in the New Testament, there's there's progress, and there's intimacy and advancement in the New Covenant, whereby God, the God who forgives, says, now I want you too to be forgivers. So he takes us as into his own fellowship to be his allies, to be his agents, to be his bearers of the good news of forgiveness that's in Jesus through our forgiving one another. You follow? There's a great blessing that's mentioned here then as the elect of God, holy holy and beloved, set apart from the world, taken to heaven, holy, as holy as heaven, as beloved as God can love. This is who you are, chosen to be this and dwelt by the Spirit for this. You are those who are on behalf of God. You know that, sovereign grace? You know that? We're on behalf of God here. So, too, when we forgive, when there's an offense, when we seek forgiveness, when we hope in reconciliation, God forgives And we forgive as Christ forgave us. Now, if you look at the parallel passage in Ephesians 4, Ephesians and Colossians are quite similar. Ephesians 4.32, it says there that we are to forgive as God in Christ forgave us. Makes no difference whether it says that Christ forgave us, and he did, or God in Christ forgave us, reminds us that God, God is manifest in Christ. So, as Christ forgave us, as God in Christ forgave us, we are to forgive and to be gracious toward those who sin against us. You see, there's something here, the power of the crucified and risen Lord and his presence with us, 
that makes this Christian forgiveness altogether different than the kind they recommend at Mayo Clinic or something else, that forgiveness is a good remedy to bitterness and holding grudges, and you ought not to do that because it's not healthy and you'll get an ulcer and you'll develop anxiety syndromes. And and it's true, there's physical and psychological and mental, emotional and spiritual problems that come when we don't forgive or we aren't forgiven. But there it is. We're talking about what forgiveness is. But I do want to say that though it be that the presence of God is with us and we are doing this on his behalf, it's not when we forgive as if we ourselves are doing what God does, actually forgiving through the blood of Jesus so that our guilt is actually removed. We have to understand that. There's a difference between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of one another. No man can forgive sins, if you want to put it bluntly and simply. No one forgives sin but God, and that's why when Jesus forgave sins, the Pharisees said that. No one forgives sins but God, but he's claiming to forgive sins, and they took up stones to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. We don't do that. But God does say, forgive, as Christ forgave us. In fact, he says, it's so important that we do this. In Matthew 6, and verse 12, here's the petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You ever see the, la- the, the two verses after the Lord's Prayer? After... The great doxology, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, amen. Then there's this, back to forgiveness. As if Jesus had forgiveness on the mind as the singular, outstanding, and needed, and most important petition when he taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. After the Lord's Prayer, he says, And by the way, and remember, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's powerful. That's disturbing for all of us prone to hold grudges and to seek the hurt of someone and not reconciliation. So what's the difference What is the difference between the divine forgiveness of us when God actually takes real guilt away from us and does not hold it against us? Well, beloved, I believe the idea is simply that we forgive others so that there can be reconciliation relationally, not, first of all and principally, judicially, as if we forgave and pronounced and actually granted forgiveness as God the judge does through the cross and then by the faith which he gives for us to receive it. There's a release from guilt and anything that would interfere with the relationship 
and it's real. And that's why it is almost divine, because we're in the image of God, and Pope was right, not the Roman Catholic Pope, but another Pope, a poet, who said to err is human and to divine is to forgive. Well, that's what happens. When we're forgiving, there is a divinity about it, an honor about it, a representation of the living God in it. Wow. So it's not actually to pay for sins or to pardon because we have this power in ourselves. And even when the church remits sins and receives believers into, the, to, into its fold, it's only just acknowledging what has occurred in heaven and what is revealed to the church to be occurring on the behalf of God. There's a correspondence, but not an equivalence to the church's forgiving of sinners and God's of sinners. So with us, there's a correspondence, a revelation, a demonstration, a way of showing how this has to happen. So that, so much so as we pray, forgive us, it's as we're forgiving others. That's the clincher here. As if, Jesus even goes on in those last verses to say, it's almost as if you're forgiving others is the ground for your being forgiven. If you do not, you won't be forgiven. It's that serious. Now, so it's divine. Something of the divine in it, something of God's righteousness, something of God's grace as Christ forgave us. So let's not be glib about what forgiveness is. It's not just forgetting. not just overlooking. It's not even just forbearing and being long-suffering or turning the other cheek as if it never happened. That's just human. And it's altogether and sadly too human when the courts in our land, they forgive and the judicial system pardons terrorists and lets murderers off the hook and rapists and so on. That's not forgiveness. It's not divine. It's sinfully human and a compromise. So, before we get into the manifestation of this, that second point, let's remember we who forgive do this on behalf of God in Christ And there's something even here, beloved, of the fact that when we forgive and we try to meet with people and talk with people because there's a problem, it's like we're being crucified. We're dying to ourselves and our rights on behalf of another. It's that excruciating. But it's that real, it's that Christ-like. It's to show, you see, the glory of God, yes. If we're in heaven 
and were praising God with the angels and the company of just men made perfect. And we're going to heaven. Well then, unless there be hell where there should be heaven in the church and in our homes, we better know what the forgiveness of God is and then practice it. All right, how does this show itself? Now I'm just going to deal with some questions here, practically. Again, I said it's a big thing, big topic, lots of books written. That's something, the making of many books on forgiveness, there is no end. But of forgiveness is hardly any beginning. We've read all the books, we've got all the answers. Is that with you, too? Here's the question that often comes to mind. I think it did at our last Bible study. Striking, we were talking about love, 1 Corinthians 13. And everybody focused on forgiveness. That's how it, we show ourselves different from the world. We knew this is crucial. Forgiveness. Forgiving love. Love that forgives. Grace love. Sovereign grace church love. That's what God works in us forgive. So here's the question. Um, Do we forgive when and only when people come to us and beg for forgiveness? Is that, what do we do? What are we doing? You notice in our text here, there's no, there's no uh, details like that just says, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on all these things that make for forgiveness and then actually forgive one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Not any talk about waiting and maybe posturing and getting everything ready, but this is like a normal part of the church and Whenever it happens, make sure you do it. The apostle's saying, even as Christ forgave you. He made sure he did that, didn't he? He made sure he went to the cross. Us too. So, well, do we wait for us, for people to come? Can there be forgiveness? Here's the other part of the question. Only if a person asks for forgiveness and there's confession of sin and repentance. Okay. First, no. I'm going to say yes and no here. Should we wait? Should there be or may there be forgiveness only when these conditions are met and a person comes to us and and begs for forgiveness and so on? Uh, No, in this sense. We We always must be ready and willing to forgive and to seek out the brother, the sister, even before they come to us. There's such a hope of forgiveness that in a sense you could say, we forgive. We forgive. Because look, Christ forgave us before we came to him. Hold that in your head. Unconditional. This is 
grace forgiveness. This is wanting to represent God, who's always first, whose name is love, and this is love, not that we loved him first and came and said just how bad we are even. He came to us and initiated this thing called forgiveness and reconciliation, and then there's the appropriate response, but God first. So no, no, no. But then, of course, there's a yes part, and we have to say that. Very important. In fact, true forgiveness cannot occur, and complete forgiveness, and therefore reconciliation, and we're back together, and nothing's wrong because the blood of Jesus has forgiven us. None of that unless there's repentance and confession. Absolutely not. Cannot be. 1 John 1, 9, our text last week about forgiveness and God forgiving us. God is faithful and just to forgive us as we forgive, as we confess our sins. That's the, the point there. And the psalmist in Psalm 32 knew forgiveness as he confessed with tears his sins. And so that is the way it works with us as well. There's forgiveness through repentance and confession. And people seeking to forgive and people seeking to be forgiven, both sides, crossing seas if necessary, bridging the gap, climbing mountains, both sides, and then climbing down, especially one mountain, Mount Ego, that we might come together, and it's no longer about us. It's about Christ. There's that eagerness to forgive that becomes a Christian. A Christian character is a forgiving character, not just that he forgives once or twice, but that he's always well, ready and willing and, and wanting forgiveness if there needs be. But then I, I want to say this. Uh, maybe this uh, doesn't work here, belong here, but I think it does. There's, there's got to be an urgency about this. I think, beloved, we have, um, we miss this often. If there's someone who sinned against you, the Bible says, stop worship. Is there anyone here who's worshiping and you shouldn't be worshiping? Because you know there's an offense and you know that you should go to that person, but you put him off, you've blown him off, and you've said, that's not so important now. Let him stew or let her stew. Those are Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Mark 11 puts it this way. If anyone is standing there praying and knows that a brother has something against you or you have something against him, I think that makes no difference. If you're standing there praying, stop standing there praying and acting like such a great, pious person when all you are is a hypocrite. You can't have hell or heaven in your confession, beloved. If you've got hell in your bones... You're pretending to be God.
so urgent. I think that's the parable of the sun, by the way, one of the many lessons from the sun, like the sun going down. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Why do we wait? We have our conditions. Well, it's got to be some time. Got to let things simmer down. Yeah, there might be some wisdom somehow in that, but how often do we go as urgently as we can? And then how often do we go? And later on in Matthew, I, I think that Peter will ask, you know, how often should I forgive my brother? <laughs> and he says, seven times? Peter does. That's a number of the covenant. Three plus four, God triune plus us creatures. That makes a wonderful sum, God with us. Wonderful number, therefore, complete number, seven. And you know what Jesus says, 70 times seven. And he's not meaning you stop there, but that's a good thing. And that's why, men, don't just look for a 10 in a woman. Look for a 490 who's going to forgive you 490 times. You need that kind of a woman because men, you're sinners. Even during the honeymoon, maybe. And after, certainly. And after 30 years, it's more than 490, isn't it, men? And the same thing with women. So we have our standards of what it is to be beautiful and to be the woman, the choice woman. And God really is saying the choice woman, the choice man is a 490 man and woman. They understand their own need of forgiveness and they will be willing to forgive and they will forgive all of these transgressions against them and forgo all of their rights. You see, that's a humble person. That's beauty. That's a faithful person who stands hard by the cross. All right. Now, Forgiveness and reconciliation, it's real and it's dirty and it's bloody, isn't it? It can be, especially with severe sins and sins that have been going on a long time. So what do we say? It's going to happen right away. Forgiven, you pronounce it, and there you are. Well, beloved, it can be a process. It can be a process. Trust is broken. And as we say, probably every consistory says, every family says, everyone who's been hurt says, we're going to trust that you're meaning what you're saying if you say, forgive me, but we're going to verify. We are going to need some proof, and so are you, that you're real. So that forgiveness doesn't come cheap. But having said that, be careful lest forgiveness becomes too expensive. That is, lest you demand of somebody who's really forgiving you something that you couldn't even do. And you're saying, well, nope, I forgive you, but you got to do this and this and this and that and the other thing, so much so that, well, what happens is it becomes about us, doesn't it? And this is the main thing. And I'm going to have to move through this rather rapidly. Here's the main thing in forgiveness. You're representing God. In forgiveness, beloved, 
we are not holding court. It's not a me court. I've been offended. I'll tell you what to do, and here's how you got to show yourself. Great. It's, it's a divine court. And at that divine court is not only justice, but a cross. And in that divine court, with the cross, it's not your playbook. It's God's book, the Word of God. What is necessary? How much does God love? How freely does He love? How much does He love you? And you've sinned, and I've sinned. A thousand gazillion times, and we deserve the hell that we don't get. Amazing. You're representing God. That's the, that's the thing. That's the practical thing of it all. Where lots of processes of forgiveness go astray because we want to play God. And we don't let, we don't let this sinner be in the hands of God. We don't believe the sovereignty of God. We hold on. We hold on to a grudge. And you know what's maybe the hardest? Is to admit that when sinners sin against you, they're not sinning against you. They're sinning against God, first of all. And when when we're sinned against, we say, you, you have offended me, buddy. Daughter, son, spouse. Uh, It's going to take a long time to heal, if ever, kind of thing. What did David say in Psalm 51, verse 4? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. David, who's brought to his knees by Nathan, the word of God, prophet. And David, remember, had not sinned against God and God only from one point of view. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against his army. He sinned against all of Israel. But he says, I've sinned against God. And that's how we have to look on it. If we're going to forgive one another as Christ forgave us, it's God's court. People have sinned against him. See, that gets us out of the picture. It should calm our red nostrils so they're not inflamed with wrath like a bull and a raging bull wanting a pound of flesh, skin, an eye for an eye. And we're so angry and bitter at what they've done. How dare they do this? And we forget what they've done to God and against God. See, there's a, a lot of humility here. And we can go on and on about all of the ways you can forgive, but that's the, the key here. Look at that. Verse 12 and 13, it's about these attitudes. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. That, that's not somebody who has a degree in psychology, beloved. That's someone who is truly humble before God, clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and it's all about Christ and not you and, and not me. That's not someone there posturing and, oh, man, it's Christ you've offended, but me you've really offended, and he's up in heaven, and it doesn't matter, but no. It's not about you. Attitude. Humility. Not keeping accounts as if you're the great accountant and you're the judge, the jury, 
and the executioner. How do we improve, beloved? (laughs) Just remember faith and forgiveness is not a mere feeling, it's a choice. You know why you're not forgiving? You don't want to. The buck stops in your heart and mind too. That's why you're not forgiving. That's not where you're doing everything to understand where that person comes from. You're just painting them black. You're calling them a monster, whatever you're going to do. How dare you've done these things? We need to get out of the picture and present Christ and the gospel in our seeking to forgive and forgive one another. I mean, all of us, every single one of us. And every single family, an elder and deacon and pastor, every one of us. Body of Christ, empathize with one another. Will you not? Be careful about your apologies. Be careful about your pronouncements or withholding of them. Be careful because this is a holy thing. And there's wonderful motivation. Final point. Why do we forgive? We have the greatest motivation of of all. It's amazing. That's why we come to church. That's why we come to the Word of God. That's why we pray and draw near to God. God has forgiven us in Christ. What a motivation. And now he said, I empower you, my New Testament, New Covenant sons and daughters. It doesn't matter how old you are, by the way. Little children, you've got to be good forgivers. You've got to forgive your brother and your sister. And you've got to forgive your parents. And older children, boys and girls and young adults, you've got to learn this or you're going to be missing out on the gospel in in all of your life, and it, it will make your paths crooked because you don't get forgiveness of God, and and you don't forgive one another, and you realize when you're not forgiving one another, you're really not knowing something of the forgiveness of God. There's something missing in the link of salvation, in the knowledge of Christ. Something's missing, and that's exactly what the world is missing. You get that? We live among the unforgiven. And they don't forgive one another then. They don't have any reason to. We, we live among the ones who've evolved, they say. And they're just apes and skunks and foxes and so on, just like animals. What's in it for me? What's for lunch today? And they'll eat themselves too. Let's not eat ourselves. We have Christ, and we're thankful. And note here, above all these things, put on love and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. Well, that verse, uh, 14 and 15, is connected to 13, I'll say, as cause and effect. As you forgive, peace and a thankful heart and no longer bitterness and a Christ-centeredness that becomes the people in the church of Jesus Christ.
And then what happens, of course, giving glory to God, representing him, is peace in the church. Peace. It might not be that reconciliation you want. Things are going to go back to normal as they were. But you got to believe this, beloved. There's advancement. There might be a change of circumstance, change in the relationship and so on, but there's advancement. If that person's forgiven and you have forgiven, there's advancement in sanctification. It's as one of you loves to say, it's all good. True. It's all good. Nothing bad can happen if you're forgiven and when you forgive. Nothing. Everything good. Why? Because you're given and forgiven to forgive. It's a blessing. And it's a blessing, I say, beloved, as your pastor and friend, to live among those who are forgiven and to forgive me. So, you want to go to heaven or you want to go to hell? Now, what shall it be? Amen. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless us with your forgiveness to be forgivers, lovers of sinners, and especially lovers of God. We love you, Father. There's forgiveness with you. We've looked and searched high and low for any other solution to our problems. This is what we do, Lord, by nature. But by the grace of God that you show, we look to you and find forgiveness and peace on the way home to heaven. May this congregation know heaven and heaven's blessings through the risen, crucified and risen and coming again Savior, in whose precious name we pray convinced, never ashamed of the pardon of our sins and the power from the Holy Spirit on high to forgive. Amen.